Time for the General Knowledge Podcast, Season 3, Episode 13. Pushing through, we're about halfway through, or just over halfway through the season now for this one. Season 3, wow, what a year so far. Um, boys, I've, uh, I'm joined with Andy uh, with me tonight, as well as Ethan. Andy, how are you going? I'm good, thanks, General. Yeah, doing really well, thank you very much. Good to catch up with you again. Uh, thanks for joining me um, for the bonus show that uh, that we did on, uh, what was it, Monday night? It was Monday night, wasn't it, on the... Uh, yeah, combo, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was that was a really good one too. Yeah, it was good fun. We um, talked about aliens and <clears throat> UFOs and the Westall UFO incident and a whole bunch of other stuff. It was yeah, we had a good time. It was awesome actually. Yeah, yeah, appreciate you coming on for that one. I hope everyone else, if you're keen to listen to that particular topic, uh, make sure you jump over to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Real News Australia. There, so. If you uh, like what we're doing here with this podcast and the realnewsaustralia.com website and all the work we put into it, uh, I'd appreciate your, your, your help over there, folks. If you're, if you're listening, you want a bit of uh, extra bonus content, there's some really cool deep dives and topics we get into over on that site there as well. So make sure you check out the link in the show notes and head over there and support us. That'd be great. Um, yeah, Ethan, you're uh, joining us for this one as well. Thanks for coming on, mate. I appreciate your time. Yeah, good to be here, General. I'm um, looking forward to today's episode. Obviously, the uh, scientific religion is is a big topic that I like to explore, and and how it's taking over the world currently with the you know medical tyranny, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think a lot of parallels can be found in the discussions here today. So, look forward to soaking up some information. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's um, when I when I Adam sent me a link to uh, our guest's uh, latest book that he's bringing out or has brought out, and uh, oh, that, that resonate just the title resonated with with instantly with what we're talking about as well because yeah we do cover that quite a lot like you said we go over again literally the title of the book pretty much and how they uh, they falsify <laughs> science uh, you know to to fit their agenda um, and we're seeing it. Right now, in uh, in contemporary times, of course, the you know the the COVID scam that's happening, um, boys. I, I sent you that link today, but I'll I'll bring it up 
just now for the rest of the listeners as well. If you haven't seen it, I will put the link in the show notes as well. But uh, a lot of people have been sending uh, me links, including Adam, actually, from the Crows Files. G'day, Adam, if you're listening. Uh, you know, he sent me a, a little link to one of these screenshots that's been going around for the Western Australian government's uh, website there for the Public Health Act 2016 Instrument of Authorization, Authorization to Supply or Administer a Poison, and in brackets, SARS-CoV-2 slash COVID-19 Vaccine. Um, so everyone was like, wow, look, they're, they're calling it a poison. They're calling it a poison. I'm like, all right, I need, I need to investigate this a little bit further. Um, of course, did so. And yeah, it does get very interesting. But basically, the crux of it comes down to is that under the certain acts and everything else, that's uh, all the laws and legislation and stuff, they, they have to, because it's a new therapeutic substance and it still requires evaluation for safety and efficacy they have to refer to these vaccines as a schedule for prescription only medicine which under the one of those particular acts is called a poison that's why they're calling it a poison in that particular one there but i mean truth be told you know us us fellows know exactly what it is we know that this stuff is poison um, and we don't need to look very far to see the damage this sort of thing is doing to populations all over the world, not just in Australia. I mean, of course, even the UK, where our guest is coming from tonight. Um, but yeah, you obviously, Ethan, I'll throw to you first. You had a chance to, to have a scan through that one. Um, does that, you, you see what I'm getting out there? Like uh, people were sort of hyping up, oh, look, oh, it's a poison, it's a poison. But technically they have to call it a poison, but it, it kind of rings true at the same time because it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, General. I um. I was having to read this earlier, obviously, and it was a good pickup here, Um, some good investigative work here. And it is very interesting, you know, that at the same time, you know, they are labelling it a poison, but also to get to the the crust of it, you know, you find that they are also admitting that there there is no safety and efficacy and that this is a, you know, it's an experimental vaccine that's been on our shores so Mm. even just uncovering the layers of you know what do they really mean by poison has discovered an even bigger rabbit hole you know where they've sort of shot themselves in the foot but at the same time you know it's it's also right there in your face at the same time this is all just jargon that they use through legislative texts and we see this all the time with anti-terrorism and whatnot to really just as you say in this article quite well general to really cover their asses at the end of the day mm, to that's what to really just to. get rid of the blame you know remember when we were talking last year about the loophole that was found in the fluoride legislation that that they were um, saying that this was a toxin or something like that and that there was a specific loophole for them to actually be sued for it um, and they quickly tightened that up because they found that there was an error in their little jug and they're always trying to do this type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to, to uncover. Not only have they officially prescribed it as Schedule 4, which in the le- legislative definition is a poison, mm-hmm. which, you know, think what you will of that, um, but at the same time they're admitting that there is no safety and efficacy for this experimental vaccine general. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm glad you, you picked up on that as well, and that's exactly what I was getting at. For um, sure, mate. Yeah. Andy, um, did you have a chance to, to have a read of that one I flicked over on the page there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a read of it. Because we sort yeah, of mentioned it last about that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, did on Monday. Um but yeah, it was good it's to, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I and, wanted to get to the bottom just, of it a bit more. 
listening to uh, Ethan just before, just, I mean, the public service is all about like ass covering, isn't it? Mm. You know, they're, they're the biggest ass covering experts ever. No one wants to take responsibility. Nobody wants to really do anything out of the ordinary. And, and that's, that's why we have a state where we are, where yeah. basically someone, someone bigger and better and more intelligent and offshore makes decisions for everyone in this country. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, good, good pickup, General. It was a good little article. Thank you. For that. Cool, thanks, man. And the other one, I just, I won't go into it too deeply, but just to remind everyone else out there listening as well, because uh, I thought this one would have gone through the rounds a bit quicker, but um, it hasn't really had the, the as much traction as I thought. But at least I've got it on the record anyway. Uh, was with regards to Western Australia and their recent lockdowns, um, and of course, as we've um, been saying for. Geez, months now, especially in regards to what's happening here in Queensland, where we are, every time that the declaration of the public health emergency is just about to end, they, of course, have magically um, discovered some new cases and they have to crack down and lock us all down again, which then gives them uh, all the ammunition they need to then extend their emergency declaration just a little bit longer. And of course, we saw that happen uh, with Western Australia as well and the WA government over there. And I updated that article, um, I think it was the very next day after I'd published it and just said update at the bottom there. Well, surprise, surprise, we called it yet again. The WA state of emergency has been extended until May 7th, 2021, as predictable as can be. The WA government has, of course, extended their emergency declaration so as to retain their special powers in order to keep people living in fear. At what point does the public wake up to see this for what it really is, a scam on a grand scale? And yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that was on the record and I had that published and ready to go because I did did make a call in that one that... In Queensland, our state of declaration uh, for the emergency will end on Tuesday, the 29th of June. So um, I made the call in that article that, of course, you know, watch this space. We'll, we will, of course, see more cases around that time of year. And uh, we're, we'll, we'll be back on to talk about it once again that we, we called it way back then. So anyway, enough of that sort of stuff. Um, we'll probably still talk about the COVID madness because I'm guaranteed that that topic will come up with regards to our guest uh, this evening and the topic at hand, which is, of course... His, uh, his amazing new book, which I'll put a link to in the show notes for everyone out there uh, to jump on over and support his work and, and grab a copy of that. Uh, but John Hamer is here for this evening as our special guest all the way from England. Uh, John, thank you for joining us, mate. Hi, thanks very much for having me. It's an it's a absolute pleasure. Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's great to have you on, mate. We we've had a few guests from uh, I guess all over the place uh, in previous seasons of uh, of the show. We even this year we actually had um, I'm not sure if you've you're familiar with them, um, but it's Dawn. I think um, David Lester and Dawn Parker who uh, wrote a fantastic book about uh, what really makes you ill and how everything you knew about um, um, science is wrong or, or whatever it was. Um, yeah, and, they, and about their amazing book that they brought out as well. And they, they're both from England as well. And they were kind enough to join us yeah. on the show. So are you familiar with, with those folks? Yeah, I'm aware of them. I've, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm aware of the book. I, I've not actually got around to reading it yet, but it, it is on my list. Yeah, me neither. I haven't actually had a chance to get that one yet. I know some people here in Australia who've got a copy, so I might have to get in touch with them to get a copy of that one myself. But um, in terms of your latest work, mate, you've... you've um, You've got a brand new book out. Is that actually, is it come out now? It's available right now? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, it was published in, in February. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just absolutely blown away by how quick, how, how great the sales are. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it, it's not, not like any 
other book that I've ever published before. I mean, this one's just gone crazy. But doesn't that quite... doesn't that tell you though, John, that people are thirsty for this stuff? They're, they're yeah. aware of the scams happening every year, all the time, and they want they want to see it sort of written, you know, written down so they can grab it and show someone and go, "Hey, look, it's in this book," you know. And, and yeah. I mean, you're proof in the pudding, mate. You're, you're like you said, your sales are doing really well. That's wonderful to hear. Uh, and I'm hopefully we can um, kick that along a little bit further for you as well, man. <laughs> well, it would be nice. Yeah, great. <laughs> no worries, mate. Well, yeah. of course, we got you on to talk about that new book, The Falsification of Science, Our Distorted Reality. Mate, um, before we get stuck into that actual book, I, I wanted you to, if you wouldn't mind, just just tell our listeners, you know, who is John Hamer? How did you get started with all this? What was your first book? And, and you know, what made you kind of become a writer and, and get your head down this rabbit hole as far as you have? Yeah, sure. Um, well, it started quite a while ago for me. Um, the, the very first thing that, that kind of made me sit, sit up and take notice was the murder of Princess Diana. Mm. I, uh, I actually knew someone who, who was in Paris uh, the night that she was killed. And uh, she'd been out for a meal in the evening, gone back to her hotel room with a partner, uh, switched on the TV, as you do. And the very first image that she saw on the TV was Princess Diana walking, aided, but walking to the ambulance. Now, that just totally contradicted everything that we were told. Yeah. And as, as and the listeners probably realise that quite this happens quite often, there'll be a news report which contradicts the, the agenda that they're going to put forward, and then it's pulled. You never see it again. And I think this was a, a prime example of that. But, but what that did when, when she told me that, uh, this kind of set me off looking into it a little bit more deeply and it just kind of went from there but even at that stage I wasn't totally down the rabbit hole I just thought this was kind of an isolated incident you know uh, but I, nevertheless I kept reading on different things and slowly 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 I began to realize that the world was a totally different place to what we're told but it was 9-11 that was the real trigger for me uh, when that happened I kind of knew instantly that that wasn't right and uh it was it was it was that that really made me determined to actually start doing some serious research. And by pure coincidence, about a couple of months after 9/11, <clears throat> I actually got made redundant from my job in IT. I worked in IT all my life prior to that, uh, so that gave me the opportunity just to do it full time while I was looking for another job. And as things went on, I, I couldn't get a job, and I, you know, I just got deeper and deeper into the research. And then I began writing articles. Um, had them published on various websites, uh, on, on various different topics. And, you know, of course, it's a learning process. It was a learning process for me as I went through finding out all this information. And then after a few years, I realized that, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea to take some of these articles and kind of stitch them all together and make, and make them into a book. And this was my first book, The Falsification of History, uh, which sets out you know, how we've all been duped down the millennia uh, well, for you know, all the, all of uh, all of the time that humanity's been around, really, we, we've just been totally deceived uh, by a certain group of people, and uh, you know, I, I kind of make that point very strongly in the falsification of history, and, and it just kind of carried on from there. Um, then I, uh, I I was always interested in the Titanic story. Um, so I looked into that in depth and I found out a lot of unique information, shall we say. I, I, I spent almost three years solidly just researching Titanic uh, as a result of which I published my book 
called RMS Olympic, uh, which tells the real truth of the Titanic story and not the uh, the sanitized garbage that were you know that the mainstream tellers and and crappy films like. Uh, the James Cameron film with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Mm, I mean, it's, mm. just, it's just kind of um, sops for the masses, as they say, you know. Yeah. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, but just I'll interject there, if you don't mind, John, is that yeah, sure. um, uh, just to let listeners know, um, John was kind enough to agree to do an episode um, with me on this exact topic, the Titanic, and uh, how we've all been duped about what the uh, real story of the Titanic actually is. And hopefully in about uh, about a fortnight, John, um, I'll get you back on to do that um, bonus show that we talked about for um, for the listeners, which would be awesome. Sounds good to me. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Fantastic. That's great. So, yeah, all listen. I hope you guys can uh, jump on board and, and uh, yeah, you'll get exclusive content and that'll be one of the shows you'll get to listen to it's really I, I've heard some something similar uh, and it's it's fascinating stuff you guys have, you've got to hear this it's really cool so yeah can't wait to do that show with you man but yeah please uh, yeah continue yeah so that was my second book and then uh, as a result of that I was actually it's a little bit of an aside here but I was actually invited over to Hollywood uh, by a, uh, a Hollywood film director not a very famous one I've never heard of her but um she wanted to make a film of my version of the Titanic story. So I went over there for a couple of weeks, stayed with her in a, in a uh, ranch. And uh, we, we went around, um, the idea was to go around a few uh, producers to try and raise some funds. But to cut a very long story short, it never happened for obvious reasons. It was always, it's always going to be a bit pain in the sky with stories like that that go against the agenda. Um, mm. But... As a result of that trip out there, one of we were told that the only way we could get a film made was if I made a novel out of it. So that's what I did next. I, I actually wrote a novel based on Aramis Olympic, which is called Titanic's Last Secret. Um, so it's just the all the factual stuff in Aramis Olympic, which is turned into a, a story. Like a, so, work, a work of fiction in a sense, but it's actually yeah, more exactly. fact than anything. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it's based on factual yeah. events. But obviously, there's you know fictional elements in there. Um, so yeah, and then after that, I, I embarked on my biggest work yet, which was uh, an epic called Behind the Curtain, which is an absolute monstrous book, which is so huge, I had to uh, split it into two volumes to get it published. Uh, it's it's I think it's just under 700,000 words, Whoa. which is, you know, just to put that into perspective for the listeners, an average novel is about eight to 100,000 words. So it's kind of quite a big book. Yeah. Damn, yeah and that, yeah. It, that was, it, that, that is an expose of the banking industry, but it goes way beyond that. I mean, it, what, it, what I do in there, I actually, um, I start off on the banking industry and I explain how, you know, the, all the corruption that's involved there. But more importantly, what it's done, what the way that money is fraudulently created um, has given them unlimited resources, in effect, to mould the world into the way that they want it to appear to us. Mm. And so it, it kind of goes into massive detail about all lots of historical events and how they've been faked, um, you know. But as a result of their being able to create money out of thin air, which is exactly what they do for anyone who's not aware of that. So, yeah, so that took me quite a few years, and that was published in 2016. 
And then after that, I, I looked into more depth into the JFK story and I linked that back into the British Crown and, that, and my book, JFK, uh, A Very British Coup, is the story of how the JFK assassination was carried out with total compliance and uh, direction from the British Crown which, again, I think is a quite a unique angle on it. Uh, mm. I've, I've actually it. never heard of that angle before, uh, yeah. John. That's, that is cool, yeah. I'd have to look into that one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, and then, as you mentioned before, I've just completed and published The Falsification of Science, which is a companion book to uh, The Falsification of History, obviously concentrating on the scientific aspects of the dece- grand deception that's going on. So, yeah, I mean, that was quite fortunate in a way because I started writing that at the beginning of 2019. And then, of course, all the COVID nonsense started um, probably later that year, wasn't it, in China. Mm. And it, 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 it's been quite fortuitous in a sense that I was able to actually add elements of that into it before I uh, completed it and got it published earlier this year. So it, it was kind of serendipitous that... that uh, if you can call it that, but yeah, you know, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, but the timing was timing was excellent. Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. good stuff. That's so, great. Uh, well, we often talk yes, about on on this show. Great. Sorry, John. Uh, that we uh, I mentioned, um, you know, with Ethan before we, this whole, um, you know, we we talk about scientism and um, you know the, yes. the 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 so-called experts are up there and they're you know the white lab coats telling us everything and we're all going to die and we need to mask up and double mask and triple mask and have our vaccines yeah. and all this sort of stuff and you know we were yeah. equated it of course to a you know it's a, it's the new religion you know it's yes it's scientism is the new religion that they're our new overlords they're our new masters and where they're the ones that they make us bow down to you know towards because they're the ones uh, that have all the knowledge so to speak but um, you know, yeah. we, we obviously quickly, you know, once you start to tug at some of those threads, it all just falls apart, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, and this is what I cover in, in the falsification of science. I start right at the very beginning with the Big Bang Theory, which, as the, uh, as the name suggests, is not factual. It is just a theory and a very, mm-hmm. very flimsy theory as well. Um, you know, and then I just go on from there, really, because obviously everything allegedly began with the Big Bang. I just kind of go through that chronologically and uh, you know, up to the present day. Awesome. Before we yeah. head head into the, those topics um, in, in the book, John, I'll just throw to the boys. Yeah. Uh, any any questions you wanted to Andy um, for John before we get into it a little bit more? You're on mute, Andy. There we go. Yeah, I know. I just had to unmute it. <laughs> G'day, John. Um, Hi, yeah, look, it sounds like fascinating work. I can't I can't wait to get my teeth stuck into some of your works there. Um, Thank you. You're obviously very familiar with um, Ike's work, and um, that 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 comment that you made about um, Princess Diana and and all of, all of the um, oh, what can I say all all of the different stories going on around around that event, um, and and Ike wrote a like many many pages around that that event in the late nineties, um, yeah. uh, which you know. Um, and now, and now, a couple of decades down the road, we we sort of still talking about it and what happened, and 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 a lot of the truth is a lot of people in the community uh, talking about um, Diana still being alive. I mean, I'm not sure whether you whether you agree with that or not. I'm I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, not either way on that one. But, 
So. Yeah, interesting one, Andy. I I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say that I've, I've even actually researched that particular idea. Uh, but mm. my gut feeling would be, no, I, I wouldn't say that she is alive. No, I, I mean what. I can't understand what the purpose of that particular deception would be. You know, why would they do that? Why would that come about, faking a death? What would that all be about? I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah. think if you if there was witnesses taking her away in an ambulance, then you know she would have just been either killed in the ambulance or wherever she yeah. was taken after that would have been where they've disposed of her. You know, but but well, probably... interestingly, the ambulance took three hours to go three miles to the hospital. <laughs> I have heard so, that before. That's ridiculous. Draw your own conclusions, kind of thing. I, honestly, I, I couldn't answer it, but you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing surprises me. I have to say. I mean, if somebody you know produced evidence that she was alive, then I'd go, yeah, right, fine, okay. It wouldn't surprise me, you know. But mm. uh, I don't have any evidence at this point in time just to even consider it. You know, to be honest. Yeah, I might have you, have, oh, sorry, yeah, go yes, in. Yeah, go sorry. I was just going. I'll just just further on the whole Diana thing. Have you? Have you got a like an opinion on on maybe the reasoning behind behind let's 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 call it her murder? Yeah, I, th- I, I do. Um, I think there were a lot of factors involved. Um, one of the ones that was that she was very much a loose cannon. She was threatening to expose lots of royal secrets, mm. um, which is which is you know probably a good enough reason in its on its own. Um, the, the other thing was she was very involved in the anti-landmine campaign at the time um, and she was really speaking out very strongly and, and she was about to, I think it was a couple of weeks after her death, she was due to be speaking at some kind of huge worldwide convention, anti-arms, anti-landmines, that kind of thing um, and she was going to give a very hard-hitting speech apparently, so that was another reason. Then of course there's the old one that's trotted out quite a bit where she was thinking of marrying a Muslim and there were rumours that she was pregnant with his child. Of course, the royal family wouldn't have liked that very much either. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of other kind of minor reasons as well. But um, certainly, I think even those taken on their own, each one of those individual elements on their own would, would be good enough. You know, they, they, they don't um, they don't like any form of dissent or... or <laughs> Or you know, being made to look foolish at all, uh, and you know, basically these people are ruthless. They stop at nothing. So, yeah, I think there's plenty yeah. of evidence. And I guess, fun. I guess, with the whole Muslim thing, like, um, uh, you know, we're the world was about to set wage war against the, uh, um, you know, post uh, 9/11, uh, just prior Absolutely. to her, her assassination. Great point. Which, yeah, that is a really good was, point. Was, which was obviously like a carefully worked out plan, like, you, you know, sure. probably a decade before the actual event there. So they couldn't, yeah, they yeah, couldn't have yeah. uh, sweet little Diana there um, talking up the whole, um, you know, is, Islamic and Kumbaya, yeah. you know, Christians and, and Muslims all loving each other. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, like I said, that's a really great point. I've not considered that angle, but yeah, it, it makes sense. Ethan, um, just before we move on to uh, the next topic, have you um, got any questions so far for, for our guest? Uh, no, General, none that I can think of at the moment. All right, cool. We'll power on. Uh, John, yeah, so just moving along, um, obviously you started you started out with the Big Bang, like you mentioned, um, and right from the get-go, how that has been one of the things that's kind of, I guess, um, you know, led, led the way in terms of 
the falsification of science. I mean, not many people yes. know that you know the, that Big Bang theory was actually was it first put forward by uh, by the church by a priest or something, wasn't it? it a Jesuit priest, yeah, yeah in the nineteen twenties, um, which which kind of is a bit of a giveaway as well, isn't it? Mm. But there you go. Um, have you have yeah. you found that it's you know some of these sort of I guess secretive orders like the Jesuits and you know, Freemasons and stuff. Have these groups had a, a big play that you've been able to find out, a big hand in with regards to all of this falsification of history and science? Yeah, I mean, especially the Freemasonry. I mean, I know a lot of people go really strong on, on the Jesuit influence. Now, there is evidence out there about the Jesuit influence, but I don't, I, I, I have not really covered that that much. And, and it's something that I feel that I ought to do at some point, but I'm not... I've never really been down that particular rabbit hole very far, although I know that you know the Jesuit thing is a very sinister uh, kind of organization, and it does have a lot of undue influence in, in various areas. Um, you know, some people actually believe that the Jesuits are more culpable of what is going on in the world today than either Freemasonry or the Jewish influence as well. Um, but as I say, it's not something, it's probably very remiss of me, but it's not something that I've actually investigated in any depth other than, you know, just very on, on the surface. I guess the, uh, but the, yes, bigger, yeah, the bigger finger, fingerprints surely would have been left by things like the Masons and stuff, surely. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 yeah, and that's where it, it kind of took me. But I think it's worth explaining at this point before we go any further, if I may. Sure. Uh, why you know what what I actually believe and, and this is kind of the whole basis for the falsification of science and this and, and this is how my theory goes okay and it involves three of their theories as I mentioned the Big Bang theory um, the uh, globe Earth theory if you can call it a globe Earth theory and the uh, theory of evolution okay now though I believe that those three things are used together as a, as a like a concentrated uh, situation. Can't give a better word than that um, to actually make us as as divine beings that I believe we are, but actually turns us into nothing. It turns us into a cosmic accident. It turns us into something that just happened by pure chance. You know, we evolved from pond slime and all that nonsense. And we live on this spinning ball in the middle of a vast universe. So we're just a cosmic accident, and therefore we're not this this divine these divine beings that live at the centre of the universe, and we're part of God. Well, however anyone wants to define God, and I can't do it myself, but you know I have my own personal view of that. Um, but we are the centre of that creation, I believe, and I think those three things together. The Big Bang Theory, Globe Earth, and the Theory of Evolution actually deny that premise and, and turn us into, as I say, just a totally insignificant speck of dust in a massive, massive universe. Uh, you know, sounds very esoteric and very, very weird maybe at first listening, but I, I actually believe that. And, and this is the whole premise of the of the falsification of science and I go into obviously much more detail on various different topics but that is kind of the initial premise that I work from. Mm. Ethan did you have a comment you wanted to chime in with? 
No, I was just um, going to chime in. You know, I I tend to agree with that absolutely. I think that those three topics, are, you know, with the scientific religion or the falsification of science, you know, a, a big thing that drives it is the underpinning theories that nobody ever really questions. Yeah, never you know, when someone when someone goes into a university, for example, it's just here are the calculations, here is everything worked out from you and you go from this base level. No one ever examines, well, what is the base level? And I completely agree that um, those three topics are very fundamental in terms of uh, shifting humanity from, uh, you know, understanding themselves as, you know, the the divine creatures that they are and turning it, as Nietzsche said, to an era of nihilism and allowing for science to embed itself in society so i was just going to chime in and say that i agree absolutely yeah nice yeah, yeah. Huh. I, I actually i i've really over the last uh, couple of years been i guess in a sense not evolving but you know what i mean great getting gaining a greater understanding for these sorts of topics and yeah I, I would have to say that i did do tend to agree that especially with what ethan just said too john like that point about going to school even just high school or primary school or you know all that sort of stuff children are bombarded from such an early age you know here is the globe here is our solar system your, your project today is to make a planet make the stars make make all this you know and, and they're, they're, it's just ingrained in us that this is what it is straight away so you get they're not yeah. they're not even taught to question that sort of stuff that doesn't come into it like he's like ethan said the calculations have already been done and this is this is the calculations we're going to give you and you can't challenge them you know do not challenge yeah. it if you if you want to challenge it then uh, you're out you're on your own exactly. go and write exactly. a book and talk about the falsification <laughs> exactly. no, that's basically what it comes no, well, down well, to both of you, that, you, you know that was re- both you put that very succinctly and uh, probably better than i did actually but yeah that was <laughs> that, that's absolutely spot on yeah yeah yeah, definitely. yeah, absolutely. Well, you use, you know, we use this uh, ball earth as an example since we're on that topic, you know, how many people, uh, that's one of the, the perfect examples for what we're describing. People will go into a university, for example, and they'll be told this is the mass of the earth. Now you use that to calculate, you know, Mars and all this other stuff, but no one ever stops to question, you know, well, how did they even determine the mass of the earth? No one would know that the official story is that some guy, Henry Cavendish, hung two lead balls in a shed 200 years ago, and that's how they determined the mass of the Earth. No one would ever question that. What, two, 200 years ago, some dude hung two lead balls in a shed, and now we know the mass of the Earth? What? Mm. Because they, <laughs> that's just the launching pad. Don't, don't worry about that. You know, you just go from there. And when we talk about the evolution hoax... You know, with the really the birth of eugenics, where the you know Thomas Huxley and Charles Darwin and their horrific revolution in science, you know, to to really just drive out the religious doctrines at the time, whether you agree with them or not, you know, it was really that type of war that really just instigated this eugenics vision, which sort of evolved. So every time, absolutely, it's just the premises are never examined, and as long as people believe the premises it's very hard for them to comprehend the argument and as well and i'll throw that to you as well john have you come across as well that a lot of the times the framework of the argument that someone might be um, saying about the world whether it be about the big bang and evolution it does technically make sense within that framework 
but that's yeah. only based on the the assumption that you believe yeah. the um the key foundation of it have you come across that may because it's oh, that's okay. a very stunning thing to to interact with mm. yeah yeah but you're right i mean their premises are all they all seem to make sense in their own little narrow box of reality but if you opened up that that narrow little box into the much wider universe for want of a better word or if you start yeah, throwing in new information at them that's been discovered you know because they always seem to discount any new information as well absolutely yeah well you know anyone who, who does you know anyone who tries to break through that box um will be quickly be uh, fired they'll be silenced you know or even worse lose funding uh, all that sort of stuff it's yeah. not allowed to uh, you're just not allowed to even discuss anything outside their proscribed agenda you know so it, it's it's futile to do it so you've got if you're a scientist if you you know if that's your livelihood You've got to go along with it, or you, or you do something else. You go into another profession because you wouldn't be allowed to propound anything that, that falls outside their uh, their agenda at all. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Money, money talks and bullshit walks. <laughs> Isn't that the same? <laughs> you got to yeah, do it to keep the absolutely. bucks rolling in. You know, you you do the science yeah. the way they want the science done, so you can get those grants and all that sort of stuff, and never move never really move humanity in the right direction you know never come up with really new groundbreaking discoveries or rediscover what seems to have been lost through history no absolutely mm. yeah right. i mean the, sorry no i was just going to say um if you just wanted to move on i mean uh, i know another one of the big to topics um in the book uh you know you talk about things like um nuclear weapon and nuclear you know devices and all that sort of stuff and how uh mm. that is not what we've been told as well it's if not if it's not what we've been told it's actually not real at all no it's nuclear not. Weapons, I mean, I, I, yeah yeah i think nuclear weapons are a total hoax um you know people would, would say say to me well what makes you think that it's, it's obvious there's so much evidence for it you know hiroshima nagasaki um yeah sure but the, the way that i look at it i look you know, further. You know, expanding on the point I made in the, a few minutes ago, I look further. I look beyond the narrow confines of what they're telling us, and I look at things like the the bigger picture. For example, the way I see it, there were if you, if we if we go back to the twentieth century, the whole of the twentieth century to me was one big hoax. All right, everything, all the stuff that happened. You know, I love World it. War, Second World War, <laughs> I love Cold it. War. They happened, of course they did, but they, they happened for totally different reasons and, to and in totally different ways to what we're told. The First World War and the Second World War were, um, you know, I won't go into it, but there, there, were, there were good reasons why they happened and they weren't for the reasons that they were told. But what they wanted to do after the Second World War was they wanted to uh, spread fear because they wanted to propagate the Cold War because the Cold War ticked lots and lots of boxes for them, you know, in terms of the arms race, more fear-mongering, you know, obviously spending billions and trillions of dollars on on nuclear weapons, so-called, and, you know, the arms race, which cost every country in the Western world, you know, millions and millions and billions, didn't it? So they wanted, they wanted to propagate a hoax that was going to keep people in fear. And I can speak personally about this because I'm of an age where when I was at school in the very early 60s, um, we 
had to undergo nuclear drills. And, and as kids, we were absolutely terrified by this. You know, we were told that someone had got a, a, their finger on the nuclear tri trigger and it would only take, you know, the slightest little incident and that, that, that's it, we'd all be toast. And as kids, we were terrified. I remember it well. And my parents were terrified as well. You know, they used to watch the news and, oh, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this stuff. And I remember it. And, and this is what it was all about. It's, it's a psyop. The, the Cold War was a psyop to keep people in fear. And what replaced the Cold War? Terrorism. Yeah. What replaced terrorism? What we're living through now. It's a constant psyop situation where they're keeping us in this, in this state of fear all the time. And the reason they do that is because a fearful people are far more easily controlled, as we know, than someone who is happy, healthy, and free. The, the greatest control mechanism ever ever devised yeah. is is fear. Yeah, and religion has it's done it throughout the years. Fear of, you know, fear of death, fear of hell, all that sort of stuff. You know, yeah. but they've just changed it. Yeah, they, you know, religion stopped working, yeah. so they had to come up with another way to keep people in fear. And yeah, now it's fear of of a, of a virus that you can't see, has never been detected, and uh, never been yeah. isolated, and all that sort of stuff. You know, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so um, so that that was kind of the why they did it, but the how is a different matter. I mean, people say to me, "Well, what about Hiroshima and Nagasaki?" Mm. Of course, they have. You know, we've seen the pictures of the mushroom cloud. Yeah, we've also seen pictures of the Earth from space, but they're all fake. You know, it's so easy these days, <laughs> and even in those days, to fake uh, to fake videos, to fake stills. You know, it's it was so simple. I mean, they were faking videos as early as, you know, the very early 1900s. You know, I've, I've got lots of examples of that as well. But obviously, that's another topic for another time. But um, yeah, I mean, on first hearing, the idea that nuclear weapons technology is a is a, a, a hoax. I mean, it appears too ludicrous for words, doesn't it? But uh, you know, but you know, even with just a tiny little bit bit of research, it's possible to find info about it here and there that provide lots of circumstantial evidence. Um, for example, I mean, atom bombs, I believe, were the idea of atom bombs was actually invented by H.G. Wells, a science fiction writer who mm -hmm. was an elite insider. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, uh, it, it, and it's easy actually to prove that Hiroshima and Nagasaki are the only time, the only time, which again is another red flag to me, surely, surely, nuclear weapons would have been used again. I mean, there's been so much war in the latter half of the 20th century and even the early part of the 21st century. Surely someone somewhere would have used a nuclear device, even as a tactical one, you know, a small one. But it's never, they've never been used. And that speaks volumes to me. Mm. Nagasaki and Hiroshima are the only time that, that allegedly that they've ever been used. But it's easy to prove that they were simply the result of carpet firebombing. Easy. Yeah, and wasn't uh, yeah. there? Um, I think you mentioned um, that there was a, an army major from the the US that uh, was Correct. was commissioned to go around the world and and catalog the destruction and all that sort of stuff. And uh, exactly. I'll let you tell the rest of that. But yeah, yeah. Well, actually, as you mentioned that, I have a I have an interesting quote. The guy was called uh, Major Alexander Dzerzhinsky, and as you say, he was he was in the US Army and he was commissioned to go around and. And examine not just the nuclear uh, attacks, the, the attack sites, but also all the bomb sites all throughout Europe and Japan and compare them and contrast them. And 
I'd like to read out a um, a quote from him, which I which I include in the book. But uh, I think you know, rather than me kind of say it in my words, I think you know it, it might be useful to hear his words, um, if that's okay. Sure. He he said, and it's quite a long quote, but it is worth listening to. He said, "I spent nearly eight months intensively studying war destruction in Europe and Asia." I became thoroughly familiar with every variety of damage, from high explosives, incendiaries, artillery shells, dynamite, and combinations of these. In this study, I inspected Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the targets of our atom bombs, examining the ruins, interrogating witnesses, and taking hundreds of pictures. It was my considered opinion that the effects of the atom bombs, not of future bombs, but of these two, had been wildly exaggerated. If dropped on New York or Chicago, one of those bombs would have done no more damage than a ten-ton blockbuster, and the results in Hiroshima and Nagasaki could have been achieved by about 200 B-29s loaded with incendiaries. I merely conveyed my professional findings on the physical results of the two bombs, and they happened to be in startling contrast to the hysterical imaginative versions spread through the world. My findings were pounced upon in outraged anger by all sorts of people in the press, on the air, at public forums, and by scientists who haven't even been within 500 miles, 5,000 miles of Hiroshima. But the violence of this reaction cannot alter the facts on view in the two Japanese cities. I began my study of Japan by flying over Yokohama, Nagoya, Osaka, Kobe, and dozens of other places. Later, I visited them all on foot all presented the same pattern. The bombed areas looked pinkish, an effect produced by piles of ashes and rubble mixed with rusted metal. Modern buildings and factories still stood, but many of the buildings were gutted by fire was not apparent from the air. The centre of Yokohama, for instance, seemed almost intact when viewed from an airplane. The long industrial belt stretching from Osaka to Kobe had been laid waste by fire but the factories and other concrete structures, structures were still standing. On the whole, it was a picture quite different from what I had seen in German cities, subject to demolition bombardment. The difference lay in the fact that Japanese destruction was overwhelmingly incendiary, with comparatively little structural damage to inflammable targets. In Hiroshima, I was prepared for radically different sites, but to my surprise, Hiroshima looked exactly like all the other burned-out cities in Japan. There was a familiar pink blot, about two miles in diameter. It was dotted with charred trees and telephone poles. Only one of the city's 20 bridges was down. Hiroshima's clusters of modern buildings in the downtown section stood upright. It was obvious that the blast could not have been as powerful as we'd been led to believe. It was an extensive blast rather than intensive. I had heard of buildings instantly consumed by unprecedented heat, yet here I saw the buildings structurally intact, and what is more, topped by undamaged flagpoles, lightning rods, painted railings, air raid precaution signs, and other comparatively fragile objects. At the T-Bridge, the aiming point for the atomic bomb, I looked for the bald spot where everything presumably had been vaporized in the twinkling of an eye. It wasn't there or anywhere else. I could find no traces of unusual phenomena. What I did see in substance was a replica of Yokohama and Osaka or the Tokyo suburbs. The 
familiar residue of an area of wood and brick houses raised by uncontrollable fire. Everywhere I saw the trunks of charred and leafless trees, burned and unburnt chunks of wood. The fire had been intense enough to bend and twist steel girders and to melt glass until it ran like lava, just as in other Japanese cities. The concrete buildings nearest to the centre of the explosion, some only a few blocks from the heart of the atom blast, showed no structural damage. Even cornices, canopies and delicate exterior decorations were intact. Window glass was shattered, of course, but single panel frames held firm. Only window frames of two or more panels were bent and buckled. The blast impact, therefore, could not have been unusual. Then I questioned a great many people who were inside such buildings when the bomb exploded. Their descriptions matched the scores of accounts I had heard from people caught in concrete buildings in areas hit by conventional bombs. Hiroshima's 10-story press building, about three blocks from the center of the explosion, was badly gutted by the fire, but otherwise undamaged. The people caught in the building did not suffer any unusual effects. Wow. Yeah, there you go. That's that is huge. That's full on. I mean, a lot a lot of people realize this. But we're all told, you know, they nuked all the Japanese, and then we're fed footage of you know yeah. um, Japanese people. You know, all oh, look, they've all been radiated to death and blah blah blah. When of course they're probably just badly burnt by fire and firebombing. You know. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, interestingly enough, I looked into um, Japanese death records as well uh, to try and suss out how many people have been killed by radiation. Do you know how many they recorded killed by radiation? No, I don't. Zero. Zero. <laughs> None. Yeah. Well, so there you go. That? Yeah. And I've got an interesting quote here. This is a very short one. This is only a couple of sentences. Because <laughs> uh, I don't want to bore people to death. But this is, this is a really uh, interesting quote. And this was from the U.S. Secretary of State, who was called Edward Statinius Jr., it was, the son, it was the son of a J.P. Morgan partner. And this was a quote from early 1945 before the, um, uh, you know, before the atomic, atomic attacks. Mm. And, and, and he said how our entire post-war pro- program depends on terrifying the world with the atomic bomb. We are hoping for a tally of a million dead in Japan, but if they surrender, we won't have anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it speaks volumes. It right? does. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, like I said, uh, you know, my daughter is currently learning about World War II at school now, and I'm, <laughs> right. I'm going to be saying to her, "You yeah, look up this stuff. Like, stop. Don't don't trust what you get told at school. She already knows it anyway." But because uh, yeah, yeah. I've sort of ingraining them to, yes, you've still got to go through the motion and go to school and all that sort of shit, but. Um, yeah, just yeah. realize that everything you're being told is probably not real and fake. Yeah, so I've been teaching my children as well. But um, yeah, man, that that is that's huge. That's full on stuff. Uh, Andy, I mean, uh, Andy should have shot me a question. You there? You're still there, aren't you, Andy? Feel free to ask John that same question you asked me. You got yourself on mute. Don't um, you? Yeah. <laughs> I just say um, in case John, you forget well, to take it off, Andy. That's all. <laughs> no, that's all right. I wasn't yapping to myself. Um, <laughs> John, John, what year was that written? Was that just 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 post the Second World War? I, I, I gathered from the the descriptions that he's talking about. Sounds pretty close. You to mean the long quote from the, the major? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was he he went he visited all the bomb sites immediately following the end of the war, 
So I guess late, yeah. no, ni- late 1945 into early 1946. Yeah, that's when he wrote that. Yeah. This is amazing, isn't it? Like, it actually brings true, because we've discussed on the show too, like the, you know, like the fake moon landing. So, you know, it ties, it ties well in a, not in the same period, but a similar period with, you know, like, like, fake nuclear weaponry and, and fake moon landings, it's all like a, a race yeah. with Russia to develop nuclear weaponry and then obviously a, a race with Russia again, the first <laughs> yeah. one to land on the moon. Very similar to the space race, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah. That's why I like, John, that you said the whole of the 20th century is just a hoax, which it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a parallels. poignant statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah so... Yeah. John, but yeah, uh, John. Sorry, Ethan, go on. No, you're right. I was going to say, continue, Andy. Sorry to interrupt you, mate. Um, no, it's all right. I'm just, I'm thinking in our region here, like uh, close to Australia, um, the the French w- were running very, very controversial um, testing, nuclear weapons testing, like uh, in the Pacific down here during mm-hmm. the 70s. Um, you're probably familiar with that it was like, um, yeah you know, like a worldwide event during that time. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess just, you're right. They sort of, we have this imagery in the middle of the ocean where there, I guess there's no witnesses or anything you could. Exactly. You could. I mean, I'm going to massive detail in the book, you know, about all, about all the different testing that took place before the alleged nuclear attacks as well. And, and it's easy to prove that it's all fakery. You know, the images are so, such poor fakes. They really are, you know. I mean, um, I have a, um, a writing partner in in the U.S. called Shannon, who I acknowledge her in the book because she contributed quite a bit to the falsification science as well. And she's it happens to be a phot- photographic expert amongst her many other talents. And um, she analysed the photographs for me, and she said, "No, they're just fake. They're absolutely fake." You know, she was a professional photographer for ten years, and uh, she knows what she's talking about, basically. I don't. I don't know if, if this the- is. True as well. Sorry, Andy. Just just on that same topic, um, no. I, I heard that um, in Hiroshima or Nagasaki, one of them, uh, after the alleged nuclear blast, the next day there were still things like the trains were running or there was streetlights still yep. working and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, that, that's when I first heard that it, it was. Mm-hmm. And this was a a little while ago, though, probably eight, maybe a couple of years ago that yep. I first heard that. But that was when maybe sort of my ears prick up, going, oh wow, maybe this nuke thing wasn't, maybe they lied. And that's why I sort of, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. came across a few of those other people saying the same sort of thing. But I hadn't heard that quote from the major before and, and not realized that there was actually someone looking into it and someone of his his expertise who would have seen the same damage all over the world, uh, who's seeing basically the same thing and nothing different. And if he was there at, at you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and if there were nuclear weapons detonated, then this guy would have probably have been dead the next within a couple of days, you know? Exactly. I mean, why didn't they abandon the city totally? Which Correct. Of course they didn't. Yeah. What about things yeah. like Chernobyl and stuff? Or Chernobyl? Exactly. Well, Chernobyl is, is amazing because it's an absolute wildlife sanctuary now. You know, that wildlife are absolutely thriving there. It's so funny, actually. I saw a documentary a few, few months ago about Chernobyl and what's going on there now. And they actually tell us, they, I mean, they absolutely admit it is a thriving wildlife sanctuary. You know, nature is taking it over. All the buildings are being covered in greenery and all the rest of it. And there's a guy stood there in a bloody hazmat suit telling us about all this wildlife that's thriving there. And I just think, well, how incongruous is that? That's yeah. just so weird. 
I mean, we're not there's seeing... Vice, there's Sorry, Vice documentaries where they just go in without hazmat suits now as well, you know? Yeah. They just walk yeah. around like normal, not even with suits exactly. on. Mm. Yeah, exactly. There's something not right. I mean, there's something really strange going on. I mean, I, I couldn't speak specifically about nuclear power, although I do cover it a little, a little bit in the book, but I'm not... You know, some people think that that's, that's a hoax as yeah, well. It's just bo- boiling water, I isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I'm not. I've not researched yeah, that. Yeah, well we, we don't have to dive into that one. But just on that um, topic, with regards to things like um, you know World War Two and the new cokes and Chernobyl and stuff, yeah. to me, it, it just this is why we see the establishment now in terms of their absolute grasp on media. This is why they write. You know, they produce TV shows. Like there was a TV show called Chernobyl. You know, it was all about mm. the, the disaster and all that sort of stuff, and leading up to it, all, yeah. and and the event and stuff, and post. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the countless amount of you know World War Two films and uh, films yeah. these days about you know nukes and bombs in cities and you know America getting nuked and all this sort of stuff. So it's current. It's constantly bombarding the public with. This, this is in our, you know, we control this media, so we're going to just hit you with this stuff. And, and yeah. it just helps it stay ingrained and it helps people not question that hey, perhaps it isn't actually real. Maybe that didn't happen because, oh, no, they saw it in a movie. That must be real, you know. That's the level of, yeah. that people are at these days. Yes, absolutely. And just another little um, aside regarding the, uh, the nuclear stuff. Weirdly, um, the um, <laughs> the testing that was done before they actually dropped the bomb, allegedly, um, it was for a uranium bomb, but they actually dropped a plutonium bomb. <laughs> so so an untested a, device, is that what yeah, you're saying? they actually dropped an un- they did this testing, and then they actually dropped an untested one. And then, strangely enough, the one that they allegedly had, test- had tested... Um, uh, the Trinity test, it was called, the very first atomic test. Um, they, it, <laughs> incredibly, they actually lost and destroyed all the technology for that particular bomb. They, they lost all the plans and the diagrams. Um, and that just kind of reminded me of the NASA story about, you know, I don't know whether you guys heard this story. Yes, about, I have. I'm, I was uh, dying for you to say it. <laughs> All the all the telemetry data tapes of the moon landings and all the technical di- di- diagrams of the uh, the space uh, the, um, the the moon. Apollo missions, isn't it? Yeah, the Apollo missions. Yeah, sorry, um, all destroyed. Thirteen thousand reels of telemetry data and seven hundred cartons of film footage. Uh, NASA have lost it. You know, it's only kind of the most. Uh, you know, probably... Yeah, the greatest accomplishment in humankind, they yeah. say. And then they go and, yeah, oh, exactly. we've misplaced it. Yeah, it's not like losing your car keys, folks. Come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, And then after a few years later, they came out and said, oh, no, we didn't lose them. We had to, we had to overwrite them because of a recording tape shortage. <laughs> I mean, come on. How stupid do they think we are? Wow. I, I never heard that part before. Yeah, they, yeah, they... yeah. <laughs> oh, Ethan, uh, ever heard of a um, recording tape shortage in all of history? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very interesting coincidence, isn't it, mate? Oh, this is where we're, the history is full of those, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same with uh, the COVID scam right now. It's coincidence city, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, my yeah, goodness. Yeah. 
Um, all right, well, yeah. moving on after, so we've, we've covered, you know, the, well, we talked a little bit about the Big Bang and falsification and uh, how it's just a theory and we're moving through to things like, you know, yeah. nukes and world wars and stuff like that. What else uh, is, have you got in store for us with this book there, John? Um, well, I, <clears throat> I talk a little bit about um, uh, the germ, germ theory versus terrain theory. I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar oh, with well, that. Yeah, we are, because that's what was... Um, very much covered in um, in Dawn Lester and David Parker's work. It's very much that sort of yeah. topic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you've already covered it recently, there's, there's probably uh, no point. No, that's fine. You can, there's always new listeners getting on board, mate, so feel free okay. to yeah, yeah, okay. get into it. That's fine. Yeah. It, it will actually be good because that's pretty much the will help blow apart you know, what's happening right now with the COVID scheme. So. Definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, it started with a guy called Louis Pasteur, who most people have heard of, I guess. And he came up with a, a, a fantastic theory called germ theory. Now, this germ theory just happened, just happened to be uh, a great uh, tool for the pharmaceutical companies and for the Rockefeller medic, medical paradigm to use in the latter half of the 19th, latter part of the 19th century, the early 20th century, when the when the medical paradigm that we have now was being formed. It was just to happen to fit very very nicely and embed into that so well so these guys the pharmaceutical industry the rockefeller medical industry they picked it, it up and ran with it because it just fitted their needs perfectly but what no one ever tells us is that this theory that pastor came up with all of it on his own he actually denied it towards the end of his life because he had a, a guy who was kind of a professional rival called um Bechamp. Um, and and Bechamp was a uh, was a what's called a terrain theorist. He um, he decreed that, and this is absolutely what I believe, and I think most reasonably thinking people are now coming around to this mm. this this theory too. That you know, illnesses are not caused by viruses because viruses don't exist in the way that we're told they exist. Mm -hmm. They're actually exosomes produced by our body which are just a transport mechanism to rid the body of poisons and uh, toxins mm -hmm. okay so Bechamp's theory terrain theory was that it's the it's the environment it's, it's, it's the problem it's not you don't pick up viruses from or even bacteria from people you just pick it up from the environment so if you going go in a room with someone who has the flu and then you know, a few days later, you present with the same symptoms. It's not because you've picked up their virus, which is what we're told. It's because you've been in that environment, and that environment has some kind of toxicity in it, which caused your exosomes to work to, uh, rid, to your rid your body. Yeah. That, and that gives you the symptoms of flu in that instance. So that that's a very very kind of basic look at it. But that's that's how it uh, you know that's how the theory goes. Yeah, and well, isn't, actually, it's interesting though too. But if I can just interject there, that you know sure. the the flu in general or flu-like symptoms, as we're always told, just so happens mm. to be the very sort of things that your body would need to do to rid itself if it was in you know um, overloaded with some sort of toxic or or some sort of ailment or you know an insult of some sort on your on your physiology. You know, you need yeah. your your body will raise its core temperature in order to. I guess you know, burn off or, or do what it needs to do yeah. to to drive out any of that sort of those 
those things. You'll, you'll you'll produce an an excessive amount of mucus. You know, you'll you'll shed of mucus membrane and all that sort of stuff. All of these different things that they that they will say. You know, oh, that's that's symptoms of the flu or flu like symptoms or whatever. Yeah. yeah, these are just the same things uh, that that our body does with and probably has since the beginning of time to to rid ourselves Correct. of these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, viruses are not living organisms, as we're told. Yeah, they're all, um, yeah, that's right. There's no such thing as live yeah, they, virus when they talk about it, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, they exist within everybody's cells. You know, I mean, everyone has coronavirus within them all the time. You know, that's why the scam that's now being perpetrated is so perfect, mm. and they know this. You know, it enables them to perpetuate this ongoing myth of the spread of a non-existent bloody disease, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and there's something called Cox postulates as well. A, a a uh, scientist called, I don't, I, I don't know if you pronounce it, Koch or Koch, um, he, he came up with four what he called postulates to determine whether or not a bacterium is pathogenic and thereby the cause of a specific disease. And no so, so-called virus fulfills any of these postulates at all, mm-hmm. which are widely accepted, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head what they all are, but, um, you know, it's, it's quite technical, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing just falls apart on on that alone. This this whole scam just falls apart on that alone. Yeah. They've never isolated a virus because it's impossible to isolate a virus. So they can't possibly detect it in their PCR tests. And the guy who entered the PCR test, Kerry Mullis, two weeks before he died, stated categorically that his PCR tests cannot be used to detect viruses. That's right, yeah. Yeah, we yep. have talked about that on the show before. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, and he had actually, um, I do find, he was a, not exactly an old guy. Like, he didn't die of old age, this guy, you know. No. Car- I, I reckon they bumped him off, to be honest, because he was the only man that could have, because he invented the damn PCR test, which is the test that they've been using yeah. to drive the cases, and hence the pandemic. You know, he was the only man that could have ended it and put it to bed right away. Um, but yeah. they needed him out of the way to, to keep that going, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely suspicious. Um, mm. I mean, I couldn't say for sure that it had been bumped off, but, it, you know, it wouldn't, nothing would surprise me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, in fact, that probably bears some research, doesn't it, as to what he actually died from and yeah. where. And- yeah, and I'm pretty yeah. sure before he died as well, John, he had... Um, some very unkind things to say about Anthony Fauci, um, just in general. You know, he didn't. He hated the yes. guy. He thought he was a moron and an idiot, um, yeah. and was um, yeah. The guy has never seen a patient in something like twenty, thirty years. Like he's not the doctor that everyone thinks he is. He's just a, a pawn yeah. put in place to to drive this. Yeah. Uh, pro- yeah, all the propaganda and, and the hoax. Yeah, and so he's been I mean. quite prominent in in other situation not not particularly like this but i think he was prominent in the aids scam as well wasn't correct he? yeah it was, was like the forefront of that too so yeah you're right it's just a puppet that they wheel out um when they need that kind of a you know person to, to kind of front things and that is exactly what he is he's just a front man yeah and if um if people wanted to get into that one a little bit further um i'm pretty sure it was let me just quickly scroll back. We interviewed, um, boys, you remember the Germans? We had uh, Torsten Engelbrecht, the uh, journalist, and uh, uh, Dr. Klaus, I uh, can't remember his last name now. Um, let me just bring it up here. And we talked about how uh, Virus Mania was the episode, season three. So the first episode of this season, folks, uh, head back and listen and re-listen to that one as well. And we kind of briefly touched on the fact that that whole AIDS um 
was was a hoax and they were you know they were poisoning these poor people who they said had aids or hiv and stuff yeah. and uh, that was what was mm. killing these people was the treatment you know um yeah yeah, very, very interesting stuff. There's links in there as well. So Klaus Kernlein, sorry, was the doctor um, that um, Torsten Engelbrecht worked with in, in regards to putting that, that stuff together. Um, yeah, because yeah. we, were, we were trying to blow apart the hoax way back then, and even in season two as well, we were sort of talking about it back then. Um, but yeah, uh, mo- moving on. Yeah, yeah, so we've, uh, again, your, your book covers all of these wonderful topics, um, and it's it's so good that you you really pick them all apart and, and, and I guess challenge you challenge the narrative that that's one of the key things that we love about this sort of stuff um, yeah. is is the the narrative is always set in stone very quickly with whatever event uh, we see in history and of course you know this uh, this covid one did did change a little bit here and there with regards to uh, the narrative but now it's very much set in stone uh, yeah. and I yeah we love pulling apart narratives for anything in with regards to history yeah. um, and that's one of the things I love to go in very deeply uh, on the bonus show so again anyone listening um, please please do um, subscribe and support the bonus show and you'll you'll go on some deep dives with a few other guests as well and again uh, John, of course, John Hamer, the lovely guest tonight, will be joining us on that bonus show content to go over that Titanic topic too, which is going to be awesome. I can't wait for that one. Um, but, mate, I noticed on the cover of the books, these last two books with regards to the falsification one, um, mm-hmm. was it intent? Did you have a say in the artwork? Because I, was there intent in, with regards to you know the uh, the the Czech pattern, which is a very much a free right. Masonic yeah. pattern? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, the the, the Falsification of history, which was the first one, was actually black and white, whereas the science one is is beige. But yeah, the black and white check on falsification of history was deliberate. Yeah, what how that came about? It was a friend of my eldest son's who was an art student. Well, he graduated actually; he wasn't a student by that time. He was an artist, and I asked him if he would put. You know, he was a weight guy, so he knew about all these things. I just asked him if he'd put together like a composite picture. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll do you a draft. So he sent that draft through. And I just loved it straight away. I just thought, wow. He said, you know, feel free to change it. I said, no, it's perfect. I love it. So we just went with that. So, yeah, it just kind of encapsulates or hopefully encapsulates a lot of the different elements of the Grant Conspiracy. And uh, I just thought it was great. So we just went with it. Mm, fantastic. Um Andy, uh, would you like to uh, interject with a question at all? And I'll throw it to Ethan next too, if you wanted to, to come up with no, something or do. Um, You're just sitting quietly general, in the back. Yeah, yeah cool. I, I just sort of give the opportunity because you know yeah, I always yeah. like to talk and talk and talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool, good night. Uh, Ethan, I'll throw to you then. May anything you wanted to uh, to ask our, our guest tonight? Uh, no, General. Um, I've I just wanted to ask. Um, John, perhaps maybe his thoughts on the the structure of how science really is, um, because uh, from my investigation, it seems like a lot of roads tend to lead back to the Royal Society and yeah. a lot of how you know they almost elect these priests of the the scientific you know religion that pushes this out for the last two hundred years or so. I just wanted to get yeah. your thoughts on on the structure of you know if we understand that science is such a, a driving factor. You know who do you believe is at the top? Who do you believe are some of the factors that potentially could be controlling the direction of science at the moment? Because sure. for me, it tends to go back to the the Royal Society. Yeah, without a doubt, I can't disagree with that at all. The Royal Society, for those who don't know, is a, is a British 
institution, but kind of worldwide, but it's based in Britain, uh, a British institution that set itself up as the sole arbiter on what constitutes real science and what constitutes fake science, basically. They are the, you know, the, they're the final arbiters, as I say, on that. But the thing about the Royal Society that we have to bear in mind is that it is totally, utterly inhabited almost 100%, if not 100%, by Freemasonry. You know, mm. it's that old story again, I'm afraid. You know, Freemasonry is is a very, very massive driver in, in what goes on in science today and yeah. in the past too. You know, for the last 300 years, that, that, that has been the case. Yeah, yeah for sure, mate. It, it come to my mind just because obviously we're talking about the checkered checkerboards there and I yes. was sort of thinking along those lines as well you know you see yeah. the Royal Society obviously and, and when you look at the the people that they've elected as fellows over the years yeah. and of course the high priest of the Royal Society Thomas Huxley who was responsible for the evolution hoax but even now yeah. you know Elon Musk pretty much you know Newton anyone that really come up with any grand narrative of history was sort of approved mm. and, and guided through this institution but you're right there's um, there's a lot of Freemasonry involved in that. And it almost, it seems yeah. to me, mate, that science itself, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, science itself is almost a form of, it's just really a continuation of structured alchemy that these people yes. Yes, um, continue to, to continue out. It's It's got the name of science, but really they've just evolved their alchemist practices and their rituals you know, through these, you know, secret societies and the occult, and they've really yeah. just manifested it into what they call a science. I'm interested to get your thoughts on that, mate. Yeah, definitely. absolutely agree. Uh, I, mean, I mean, as I said, every, just about every senior scientist that you could ever name has been known to be a Freemason and a member of the Royal Society. Mm. And, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I kind of forgot your question. <laughs> it must have been a senior moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot what point you made actually there. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, just um, the the point about alchemy, you know, that it, it's really oh. not um, it's really not science per se, you know, these experiments and, and, the, and, the, and work that they do in laboratory. It's almost just become in the modern day just a structured form of the alchemy and occult rituals that these societies were carrying out in my estimation. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I couldn't have put it put it better myself. I mean, it is. It's like a kind of extension of alchemy, isn't it? Alchemy was the uh, the pseudoscience of turning base metals into gold originally, wasn't it? Which is obviously mm. utter nonsense. But yeah, I mean, the, the science itself works in exactly the same way. They propound all these these crazy theories that put their agenda, and uh, you know, they bend uh, real science to to make that happen. Uh, you know, turn it into a kind of alchemy. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, beautiful. No, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, mate. It's always good to connect with a like-minded person and, <laughs> um, you know, sort of bounce bounce ideas back and forth, you know, see that you're on the right yeah. track. So I appreciate that. No worries. John, um, I just wanted to ask, have you looked into things like the deep state and, um, you know, the I guess the upper echelons of, what people would determine is who's really running the the show, as you would say at the moment. Have you have you tried to look oh, into yeah. that or try to pull layers of, of that off? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I cover it in virtually all my books. You know, um, I know you sort of mentioned it in that behind the curtain series, but um, yeah, yeah, I wanted it because yeah. I think I mean, you'd written those a little bit earlier, so I thought maybe you you might have a different perspective on it now or 
Um, yeah, I mean, it can. It's. I don't. I mean, I don't. There's no firm conclusion on it. I mean, I. I, I cannot put my hand on my heart and say it's. You know, this group of people or that group of people. We all we know it as is this shadowy cabal of people that pull mm. all the strings, and the and the politicians, contrary to public opinion, are just glove puppets who are there to dance to the tune of these unseen uh, hands behind the uh, behind the curtain. In fact, mm. uh, you know, a, a bit like um, the image in the film The Wizard of Oz, if people remember that, where the wizard is sat behind the curtain there, operating his his fantastic machine and making his voice sound a lot more powerful and scary than it really is and then the little dog comes along opens the curtains and gives the whole game away mm. well I kind of look at it like that you know if we can somehow peek behind that curtain and see these people for what they really are then the whole thing will just fall apart um, but yeah they, they are they, I believe that they are a group of bloodlines who've been the same bloodlines who've been in, in control for not just decades or centuries but actually for millennia you know, and the people who are running the show, like you know, some some of the names are quite famous, like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, uh, but there, there are many others as well. Um, mm. These are, these are the same bloodlines, albeit slightly mutated, I guess, from uh, from ancient Egypt. Uh, you know, it, and even before that, you know, Babylon and and all that kind of stuff. And it's this, it's basically the same people, the same families that just maintain that control. All down the millennia and uh, centuries, you know. Yeah, mate. Would you would you agree that our current timeline, as in the, I guess we are, we we are, we're all told that it's year twenty twenty one. Would you agree, mm. or do you, do you have any suspicions that our current timeline is not what we've been told? That perhaps you know, like the work of Anatoly Flamenco and stuff, where he says that the year is actually more along the lines of about seventeen hundred. You know, like they've removed large portions of history and and covered it up very well. Have you have you discovered it, or have you looked into this sort of stuff? You know, I've I've heard it, and I've heard I've heard tell of this guy. And I've heard tell of that particular theory, but I have never looked into it. But it is something that's kind of on the to-do list to do. Strangely enough, I did a podcast on Monday evening, and that topic came up there too. And I couldn't, I couldn't answer it because I've never looked into it. But it's, it's certainly an interesting concept, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it is. I, I mean, you guys know anything on that? Because I'd be, I'd be interested in, in, in hearing the actual, uh, you know, the, the theory itself. I mean, I, you know, I can obviously do it myself, but it. It will be interesting to get your guys, you guys' perspective if you if you have one. Oh, I could just point you in perhaps the right direction. I mean, we we did have a guest. Yeah. Um, I had a guest on, on the bonus show. Um, let me just bring, quickly bring that up. Uh, where is he? And he was a uh, he's Amer- American gentleman. Well, he's actually I think he was born in Israel, but he was he lives in America now. And he was on episode the bonus bonus show thirteen on my um, on the Patreon show, and um, Ari Ari Asulan is his name, and he's been doing some fantastic work with regards to um, he's, he's called it the Timeline Project. Um, his website is called ParadigmThreat.net, so I'll I'll send a link to you in the, in your Skype, yeah, just so you can have a look okay. at some of his work, and he's got some fantastic stuff there with regards to you know our, our the time, our history, how history has been 
you know, distorted and faked um, and how yeah. uh, it, a lot of it really comes down to things like what's happened. You know, our cosmic history plays a, a bigger part in, in you know, our, our history than, than we've been led to believe. And, you know, a lot of the things like um, Egyptian pharaohs and all this sort of stuff, like there's reasons why they, like all the artwork and things that they've been putting up has is actually telling a different story to what we've been told it tells. Um, it's more along yeah. the lines of things like... Um, yeah, an actual cosmic event. Um, so if, even if you look into things like uh, the Electric Universe theory with, um, you know, the Thunderbolts project and all that sort of stuff, these guys, yeah. uh, there's a wonderful scientist by the name of Walt Thornhill who we also had on the show, um, goes well into with regards to uh, how our, our universe is actually electric and it has to do with our, yeah. our solar system, our, our cosmic history and um, all this sort of stuff. But it, it all interconnects together. Um, yeah. and it, 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 Some, it, it much yeah, street, things huh? like, like great resets and mud floods and all this sort of stuff, um, sort of has a big part in it as well. And some of right. these things may have happened uh, a lot earlier in our history um, than we've been than we've been told as well. So a lot of the the ancient myths um, actually tell a story of of what actually happened, uh, I guess, on a cosmic level as well, rather than um, the 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 mythical tales and the paintings that we see in in current history. You know, they're actually they're actually telling a different story than what we've been led to believe. So, yeah, I just thought I'd p- poke your um, your brain, but I'll send you some information about that too. It's really fascinating stuff. Right. Once again, um, for anyone. For the listeners out there, if you jump over to the Patreon, you can listen to all this stuff. It's really cool. Um, I had one more thing I wanted to ask you before we sort of start to wrap up the show, uh, John. Sure. Look, moving, um, I guess, into the next decade, um, what do you see as probably one of the greatest challenges that we're going to be coming up against? You know, we've we've talked about, obviously, the falsification of history, the falsification of science, your latest work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these things are going to play a big part into where we're moving into in the next, we'll say the next decade, so by, I guess, 2030. Um, I have one I wanted to, to put forward to you, but I wanted to just see, just to poke your brain first to see if you've, yeah. I guess, you, there's anything that comes to mind now um, as in a challenge that we're going to come up against perhaps in the next uh, decade. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, well, there's two ways of looking at what's going to happen in the next decade, uh, I believe. And, and the first one is that uh, things continue, God forbid, in the way that they are at the moment. Um, and these people who are perpetuating this insidious hoax upon us all, uh, it depends whether they get their own way or not. So, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. If, if we can somehow stop it, and, you know, I am optimistic that that will be the case. I, I really am optimistic that this thing will fall apart. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but, you know, I, I am. But the other, other you know, the, the, the worst alternative is that they get their own way. And if they do get their own way, uh, you know, my next book project with my uh, co-author in, in the States, Shannon, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. will be... Um, the you know the perpetuation of this COVID myth to 2025, which is expected to when it's going to run its course, and then we're going to look at stuff like AI and transhumanism, which is the next step along the way, mm. and of course Agenda 21 will be coming into play as well, which is very very sinister indeed. Uh, for those people who are not aware of Agenda 21, it, it it basically says that we will all live in tiny little uh, units in the cities. We won't be allowed to um, you know, live in the countryside any longer. And this is all going to 
linking neat, neatly with the climate change hoax. You know, they're going to use that as an excuse to get us all out the countryside because we've got to protect the planet and all this nonsense. So, yeah, I mean, that, that particular future looks very, very bleak to me. But the other future that I see is that we this, this hoax gets stopped and, you know, we try to grab back the world in some way and we can, you know, hopefully have a much more uh, freer, better future for ourselves and our, our families. Um, you know, to me, it's a, it's a simple matter of choice. It's either going to be one or the other and I don't, I don't see any in between at all. Mm, yeah, it's going to be some rough times ahead if um, we don't get our shit if in they the get gear. Away. Yeah, if they get away with it, that's for sure. Um, yeah. one, the one thing I was going to um, pose to you, and it, it is kind of along those lines, and I think it's probably going to be uh, perhaps used as a tool in order to achieve some of these sort of things that you've mentioned. Um, and mm. that is, I would say, that we need to start taking uh, and keeping our eye on uh, deep fake technology. Um now, for those people who are not aware of the listeners out there, I'll just quickly read you this brief description here. So, deepfakes are synthetic media in which a person in an existing image or video is replaced with someone else's likeness. While the act of faking content is not new, deepfakes leverage powerful techniques from machine learning and artificial intelligence to manipulate or generate visual and audio content with a high potential to deceive. Now, we're, we're at the moment now, I've been keeping an eye on this for maybe a year or so. Um, the, the technology is getting very good very quickly um, to the yeah. point where, you know, you're, you're watching videos of celebrities and, and things, you know, talking to the camera and doing things and stuff. And the, the likeness is, is, is so close that even the celebrities themselves are sort of coming out saying that, but that's, you know, I didn't say that. That's not me. You know, and they're kind of getting caught up in this thinking. And then they're like, well, you know, it's all right. Relax. It was just a, this technology we use. We use an app to do this now. You know, like, there's literally yeah. apps you can download to do this sort of stuff. And the mm-hmm. quality is, is quite good. Whereas, um, you know, the, the people who are inventing this sort of stuff and you imagine if this sort of thing, which I, I'm guessing probably already has fallen into the, I guess we'll call it the wrong hands, um, can be used to you know, deceive on such a massive level. And we, we could be talking things like, you know, hoaxes, hoax shootings. Um, we could be talking about, you know, seeing uh, a fake president being elected, someone that's, you know, not even real, you know. Like, there's been um, examples put up where they showed members, you know, randomly showed people in the public and said, you know, which one of these people is fake? And, you know, they, they looked that good that, they, they didn't realize that every single person, every image they were given was actually a, a digitally created image by a computer. It was not a real yeah. person. It was all bits and bits yeah. of bobs put together. And they, they looked that convincing. Yeah, so this is yeah. this is one thing I think that could quite possibly be used in terms of um, a control method or a, you know, in order to, to get away with it. I think it's going to be a tool that will help, one or not the only tool, but a tool that they've probably got in their arsenal to help pushing these other agendas, which we talk about, things like, yeah, moving toward the the technocratic agenda and pushing forward with the transhumanism and the technocracy yes. and all that sort of stuff. And we've been we've covered that a fair bit, but yeah, I just sort of throw that out at you. Have you have you seen or have you heard of this deep fake technology? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is this is going to be you know partly what the next book is going to consist of you know because what you just described is exactly what I was saying before about artificial intelligence and, mm. and transhumanism. It's, it's all a step along that road, isn't it? 
I mean, they can use this when you, when you think about it. They can use this technology to create Hollywood films and not use a single real person in it. That's right. You know, it, it, you know the, the, the acting profession will die, won't it, if this continues to its logical conclusion? You know, they won't need to pay actors to do it. They'll just pay computer technicians to generate the, the images. So yeah, I mean, it's all very sinister to me. The whole AI transhumanism thing is very sinister. Mm. Um, and, and we're kind of being made to get used to it by these these things, you know, these Google things, these Amazon Amazon things, which I actually hate. They're called Siri and Alexa yeah, and, yeah. and these kind of robotic voices that you get. Um, they're all very, very sinister. I, I watched a, a video. I can't remember whether, whether it was on YouTube or, or uh, BitChute or something like that uh, a little while ago. And it was people talking about their experiences with those robotic things. Um, very sinister indeed. Creepy you know, shit, man. Strange, yeah. <laughs> some strange things that they do. You know, one of them was describing the two of them actually having a conversation. You know, Alex, Alexa and Siri or whatever the hell it was. Uh, actually, in that room, just having a conversation, totally oblivious of the fact that people were there. You know, just talking about really weird stuff. And other, some other people said that they were woken up in the night by Alexa, um, just give, giving out this huge demonic laugh. You know, just turned itself on and laughed in oh. a really demonic way. I just got chills, yeah. man. Oh, like oh, seriously, that shit creeps me out. Eh? <laughs> I know it's so weird, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's definitely. I can't remember the title of the film, so I'd have to dig around and find it. But it's definitely worth watching for anyone who is. Um, you know, interested in that and how sinister the whole project is. Mm. It really is. Yeah. But um, although, I mean, that's wonderful. I mean, I was kind of hoping that you would actually bring that topic up with regards to where we're moving forwards and, and what you're seeing you know, yeah. in our future. Um, yeah. One last thing, uh, and we've, we've talked about this before on our show previously, but things like Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, and using the whole, um, you know, the Climageddon, stuff to, to scare us all they've obviously put that on the back burner for now but i do believe that once uh you know 2025 rolls around or maybe just before then they'll start to bring that back up into the zeitgeist and and push that agenda Definitely. once again to move forward yeah i mean i've already heard, heard rumors about climate change lockdowns <laughs> wow yeah. yeah because you know um, when everyone's locked down we're not used driving our cars and it's things are so much exactly, greener and yeah. the air is better yeah yeah it wouldn't surprise me if they use it actually i'm pretty sure we even may, may have mentioned that before ethan do you recall us perhaps talking about that particular topic i'm sure we have general for sure yeah it does sound familiar too it sounds like something we've said on the part in the past yeah. in the past show yeah mm-hmm. I mean, I cover co- co- the climate change thing as well in great depth in, uh, in post-regression science too. So. Oh, good. That's a good topic to get through, yeah. One, one thing mm-hmm. I actually kind of forgot to bring up earlier, but that's all right. Um, mate, we're just about to hit an hour and a half uh, recording for the show, man. So I just wanted to throw it to the gentleman uh, who will join me as well. Boys, have you got anything further you'd like to say to our guests this evening? Andy, I'll, I'll just throw to you first. Oh, I'd just like to thank, thank you so much, John. That was really, really good. And an hour and a half just like whips away like too long. We, <laughs> we, we could we could possibly easily do a, like a, a five-hour show, but um, yeah. I'm sure yeah, just, yeah, I mean, we've not really scratched the surface. It'd uh, be well you know, past their bedtime by the time we're finished. But, um, <laughs> well, I hope but, we've wet um, people's but, appetite, Andy. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll have to get John back again and cover some more stuff. But like, just quickly, the whole thing. I was just listening to some, you know, some the latest fear porn. Um, the thing, mm. the war with China seems to be this week's um, new thing. But like, it's just it's 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 a growing arsenal of like fear porn and yeah. and. Uh, fear instruments that they could just roll out at any notice yeah. like um, climate change, fear, COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21. Uh, we're going to go with war with, with terrorism. Well, no, terrorism is old hack now. We're, we're, yeah. we're having yeah, full-scale full scale, <laughs> like war with China now, like China will be driving tanks across like you know, like the Northern yeah. Australia down into Queensland next week. If you listen, <laughs> listen to the, you know, too much, too much TV, but like, but yeah, it's just a, like a whole like briefcase full of fear. So if one starts to wane then they can just whip out the next one, it seems to be that this is where we're heading forward towards, you know, the, this whole campaign. Um, but exactly like what you've, you know, what you've, like eloquently like express right going back from world war two from the uh like fake nuclear bomb like you know thing right through to the fake moon landings right through to the cold wars and stuff now we we seem to be in a climax now of the you know echelon of of fear campaigns and they've really got it worked out quite nicely so yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah awesome Awesome, John. Thanks so much for um, your, your time tonight. It's great. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure, actually. Andy, great uh, to meet you. All. I, I'd like. I think, um, if anything, that uh, COVID nineteen has actually helped to prove that this whole terrorism stuff is all just faked, because it just disappeared, mm -hmm. didn't it? When COVID nineteen rolled around, like, where did all the terrorists go? Are they are they, all, are they yeah. in lockdown too? <laughs> Maybe. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's lots of proof for people who've got the eyes to see. Yeah. What's that saying? Real eyes, real eyes, real lies. Real lies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ethan, uh, anything uh, you'd like to say to our guest before he departs us for this evening? Yeah, just thanks to John for coming on. Um, really appreciate the, the insight, and I, I encourage all the readers out there to definitely go check out John's books and, and pick up a copy, you know, to really understand what's going on in the world today. These, you know, big topics like the evolution hoax and history and and nuclear bombs and things like that are so important to to wrap your head around to understand just how deep the uh, the propaganda and this structure goes so i encourage all the listeners out there to to pick up um john's book and i'll even leave some links to some of the work that i've done on those topics just to get your head around you know everything that's going on and 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 really sort of just see the direction that these people are taking because once you understand the the past or the lack of past there is um you start to understand the future direction that's that's really going to be taken so just thanks to all the listeners out there and thank you to john as well awesome thanks, Matt. appreciate it hey, uh, ethan if you want to just pop those links you're referring to in in the chat for the podcast chat here and i'll um I'll add those into the uh, into the show notes when I publish as well, mate. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I just want to encourage everyone. Um, John Hamer, uh, author John Hamer, publisher of uh, and writer of a few books. There, your website, John. If you wanted to just read that out for the folks, um, so they can at least uh, find one place there where they can start to look into what you've been up to. Sure, it's falsificationofhistory.co.uk. Wonderful. And they, can people actually get in touch with you via your website there? 
Yeah, you can get. Yeah, my, my email address is in the contact details in the website. But I mean, you can give out my email address if you like. I don't mind. You know, people can contact me. Awesome. Uh, so you're yeah. you're always up for a chat and uh, scrutiny or comments or praises yep. or yep, yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Abuse as well. You know, get a little bit bit of that too from time to time. <laughs> you're crazy, man. Yeah, we went to the yeah. moon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I did want to say though, I'll, I'll give that out for folks too, which is quickly. So it's J C H. One two zero seven five two at gmail dot com. Um, so you guys can email John there, all the listeners, if you have anything, you know, any comments or any questions. Uh, yeah, John, John is very responsive uh, of of um, contact. Uh, he, that's he got back to me very quickly, so uh, I do appreciate that as well, John. Uh, but yeah, one thing I wanted to sort of say with regards to your work is that once you pull apart and and tear away the all the the propaganda and the lies and you really get down to the, what's really happening with regards to even just one thing that we've been told as we've uh, you know in school or that we've grown up with like for example the moon landing you know when you start to really pull that apart and when people kind of get it ahead around that perhaps that this this one thing isn't what we've been told and it was a lie and it was a hoax and it didn't happen or didn't happen the way we were told then it really does help to get people over the line with the next one and then the next one yes. and then the next one and on. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just a chain reaction. It's a domino that just keeps falling and knocking yeah. over the next one. Because if you can just reach someone on just one topic, then it's really going to help them to get an understanding because it's going to sit in the back of their mind. They're going to sit there and go, yeah. fuck, man, if that was fake, what about this? And man, you know, like it just, and it's just going to be exactly. a domino effect. And I really hope people kind of get into that because that's so important to realize that we've just been lied to. We've been lied to forever. You know, things aren't what they what we've been told. I mean, we really it's need to. It's a bit like a loose thread on a on a piece of clothing. If you pull it, the whole thing starts to it unravel. It starts to unravel. That's right. All these little analogies. It, it just makes yeah, it it fits so perfectly. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on to the General Knowledge Podcast. Um, so I, I the boys call me General because that's just one of the I, I write under the pseudonym of General Maddox for my website realnewsaustralia.com. That's just become right. my nickname. Um, but yeah, so um, Andy and Ethan, thanks for joining, boys. And of course, yeah, John, once again, thanks for coming on to the show, mate. Really do appreciate it. Um, just quickly hang around quietly uh, for a moment there, and I'll just wrap it up. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, boys, thank you so much for joining me tonight, guys. I hope you've uh, had fun with our guests this evening. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll chat again soon, fellas. Yeah. Been great. Thank you. Thanks, awesome, guys. boys. Yeah. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Andy.
Just dance 